2 Timothy chapter 3, we're getting ready to go live, and we are live. We uh, welcome all you that are joining us around the world or watching this podcast sometime during the next few days. We're thankful for your participation and your willingness to stand for the truth, for God's Word. And uh, we're going to get into His Word again tonight, and we're just thankful for all God's doing. And We were just talking about, uh, just a second ago, about that... We call it the sound booth, but that sound booth does a lot of stuff. You know, that's our that's where our messages go out to the world. It's uh, it's where we obviously do sound and record, and uh, we're getting the word out. A lot of things come out of that little nook back there to, uh, and from a couple of dreams and visions and things that God gave us, and then somebody buying all this camera and stuff. Uh, it's just been amazing to see what God's been able to do. Amen. And uh, we're thankful for all that. And we want to publish the truth. That's what we want to do. The world don't need another program or another, as Granny called it on the hillbillies, another shindig. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, they need to hear the truth. It's the truth that sets men free. And Paul's going to get into that some more tonight. So... Let's pray and invoke God's uh, Holy Spirit into this place so that we can learn and be more like Him when we leave. Father, we thank You for this time we have together. We thank You for Your grace and mercy, Your forgiveness, Your long-suffering, Your patience. Thank You, Jesus, for taking our place on that cross and dying where we should have been crucified. You took our place. Not only that, but You rose from the dead so that our eternal life has been secured, all we have to do is put our trust in you and follow you. So, Lord, we are thankful, and we don't want to take anything for granted. And you told us each time that we take communion to remember your death. Sometimes, Lord, we forget the price that's been paid for us to have eternal life and to have you not only have eternal life, but have you by our side and inside of us and to have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and teach us and for your word. We wouldn't be anything without you, Lord. And we're thankful tonight that we know you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, I don't know if we'll get through chapter 4 because both these, this chapter is loaded and the first half of chapter 4 is loaded. A lot of the end of chapter 4 is uh, some salutation. Let's just see how far we get tonight. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. So... Some, if you use uh, some other translation, may say dangerous. Perilous means dangerous. Uh, it means risky. These are risky times. Means peril. There's peril. It means to stand in jeopardy. This Greek word, and it also means to face danger. So we're in the last days. That's what's going on. There's danger. There's peril, it's risky in this world from the natural side of it. <clears throat> it says, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. So we're seeing all this, right? This is easy for us to see in the world we live in. They love themselves more than they love others. For instance, I was listening to some news on the radio today. And the governor of Michigan made these two statements. 
she said, we need abortion to stay legal in this state so we can get more businesses in here and so we can have quality of life. What a hypocrite. The only people that are for abortion are the people that have already been born. Easy for them to say that, right? But see how, how ridiculous that sounds. They don't even listen to themselves when they make statements like that. <clears throat> because they're lovers of themselves. And said also they'll be lovers of money. So what did she just do? She told us that she's in love with herself with those statements and in love with money. She said it'd be better for businesses if we have abortion rights. So love themselves, they love money, they're bolsters, they're proud, they're blasphemers. This is what's going to be in the last days. Disobedient to parents. I've said this to my wife, she's in that realm, education realm, and I've said it to other people that work in that realm. If children don't, don't respect their parents, you can forget about them respecting you. And that's where we're at. He says they will be disobedient to parents. They'll be unthankful. Right? How many times do we see our culture here in America just give me more, give me more. I deserve it. I, I deserve it. No humility. They'll be unholy. And we, that's clear. Unloving. Unloving. Now, I'm against abortion from day one all the way till the baby's born. But how the most evil person can even get to the place where they would kill a baby after they're born, and that's what Virginia's argued for. You've got to be demonic to do that. You've got to be demonic. You've got to be influenced at the least by demons and probably oppressed or possessed with a demon to even go along with something like that. Have you noticed what Satan's doing in this country? He's attacking the children. Do you know that foster care is an, ep an epidemic in this state? Children growing up. My wife just said in a meeting a, few, a couple of weeks ago where a guy who was raised that way gave his testimony. He talks about how Every time a foster child thinks they're getting ready to get attached and loved and be loved by somebody, they get jerked out of the situation and sent somewhere else. And he said that creates such anger issues for these children. The devil has been attacking the children in this country for a long time. Let me tell you what they don't tell you about abortion. Now, I've said this every time just about I speak about abortion. If you've had an abortion, anybody's listening to me or wherever, you can be forgiven. That's not the unforgivable sin. Moses killed a dude and hid him in the sand. So you can be forgiven. But where the problem is and where the church has to draw the line is say, if we do something wrong, we got to call it what it is, repent and move on. That's what the Bible, but we don't start calling it right. Let me tell you what abortion's done that they won't tell you. We've lost 70 million that we know about 
give, I'm sure it's a lot higher than that. That means 70 million people will not be paying into the Social Security system. And it's going to go broke, they say, in just a few years. That means 70 million people won't be buying blue jeans or socks or shoes. That means 70 million people won't buy houses, won't take jobs, and won't invest in companies or whatever. Now you think about that for a minute. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. For a society to sustain itself and to continue to flourish, it cannot damage its offspring. That's what we're doing. What if somebody was foolish enough to raise cattle and go out and start shooting all the ones that calved? But that's what we're doing and we're calling it freedom. We're not going to get by with that as a nation. Our prayer as a believer is that the Lord will come back for He really drops the hammer on this place. And that we may have a reprieve and be like God's people in Egypt. He'll protect us. But I'm telling you, we can't keep shedding innocent. And, and they're vehement about it. Watch, watch the people that argue for it. They're vehement about it. Some of the things now, but I, I believe God's allowing the lines to be drawn. You can't ride the fence in, in this country any longer. You're either going to stand with God or you're not. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what your party affiliation is politically. You're either going to stand with God or you're not. You're going to stand with His truth. They're unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Slanderers without self-control. I read an account of a man in New York City off the side of one of the freeways raping a nine-year-old girl and everybody stood by and watched. God can't put up with this stuff much longer. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, and that's where our culture's at. Brutal. When God says something like that, then he, he's, there's some accountability for it. This I can't help it ain't going to work with God. Because He's made offerings and give us the ability and opportunities to overcome. That's what the whole gospel's about. When you read about the end of time in Revelation, He's talking to all seven churches, and He talks to all seven, and He tells the same thing to them. He that overcomes. Now, we're not bad because we're tempted. We're not even uh, lost because we fail. But we are charged with overcoming. We need to do whatever we need to do to put ourselves in a position to be an overcomer. And sometimes that's radical stuff. And then he says they, are, they don't have any self-control. They're brutal. They're despisers of good. And let me show you something. Out here, I'm not even going to name the activity. I'm just going to call it an activity. All right? We'll call it a bad activity. Stick man 
Well, it's got some long legs, don't it? Stick man is walking this way. And stick man makes a choice here to keep going, 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 and a choice here to keep going. And who do you think was right here every moment? The Holy Spirit trying to get his attention. And then Stickman gets out here and does something bad, and most of the world says, well, he couldn't help it. Do you know that if you make one bad decision on top of another bad decision, it's going to lead to something bad? And you are responsible for it, and so am I. Because we had plenty of roadblocks. I'll never forget a guy said one time, he said what caused him to get saved. He said he went to a revival, was invited, and he said the preacher got up and said, how many roadblocks are you going to run through to get to hell? And he said that's what got his attention. Because God's setting up roadblocks all along the way for all of us. And you that have been serving the Lord for a while and can look back, you can start saying, man... The Lord was dealing with me then, He was dealing with me then, He was dealing with me then. That's because He's a good God. And so we get out here, yeah, you can make so many... The Bible says you can wind up with a seared conscience. But it takes a lot of bad decisions to get there. The Bible says some people can become a reprobate. That's somebody who gets to the place where they don't even desire to seek God anymore. Where conviction no longer is part of their life. You can get there... It's a long journey to get there because our God is so long-suffering and merciful. I don't know personally anybody that I know is a reprobate because they still have this sense of, I may have run into people that I think could be that way just by observing them, but I don't know that personally. God is so long-suffering, but if you want to persist and persist and persist, then you can find yourself in a horrible spot, and you and I are responsible for that. Somebody said, well, he, he, he wasn't in his right mind out here. Well, was he here? When he went against God here? And when he get, went against God here? That's what happens with sin. Sin will cause you not to be in your right mind. Now, I know I'm not going to get many amens on this. But sin will cause you, one bad decision after another will start warping your mind. You cannot have a proper thought process if God is a, not a part of it. You cannot have a proper thought process if God is not a part of it. I don't care how smart you and I think we are or how much education we've attended to. If God is not a... That's what's wrong with a lot of our education system in this country right now. We've got science teachers and history teachers and all kinds of teachers trying to teach without adding God into that. You've left the circle open if God's not a part of it. He's a part of everything. God's a part of science. He's a part of medicine. He's a part of heaven. He's a part of spirituality. He's a part of the soul. He's a part of everything. And then he says, They'll be headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Did you ever think that we would be in a place in this country to where we would identify people either by their skin color or their sexuality. That's how people, a lot of people in this country want to be identified now. They don't even want to be identified by their gender. 
And they've made up a bunch of those now. <laughs> they're going to run out of letters in the alphabet, that's all I can say. <laughs> then what are they going to do? They'll be traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So they, we just had a church here in Danville open up. They're getting ready to open up. That part of their mission statement here in this city says that God affirms all sexual orientation. No, He blesses all sexual orientation. And affirms. That's where we're at. I mean, if we could bring our parents and grandparents back. Oh, mercy. What they would think. They have a formula of godliness but denies power. The power there means God's ability. They deny God's ability. Most folks, and you know I shared this with you a few weeks ago, we had many churches in this country have transgender services where they let somebody who says they're whatever and they controlled the service and preached or talked or whatever, had their dogs come through, some of them did. It says, Haldy, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Now, there are people, according to the New Testament, that we're not supposed to have any fellowship with. It's not the only place it says it. John talks about not having fellowship with those who say they're brothers and sisters, but they walk in darkness. Paul's talking about here, he's talking about how we're not supposed to be around those kinds of folks. All the stuff that perpetrates perversion is demonic. It's not natural. It's not another way of thinking. It's demonic. Anything that distorts God's Word or what God intended for mankind is demonic. Demons promote that stuff. And we've given the world just about every avenue to do that with. And he says, These are people who deny its power from such people turn away, for of this sort are those who creep in houses, households, and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. People who are constantly receiving instruction. And I would just caution everybody, if you, when, you, when you read stuff, make sure it lines up with the Scripture. And if it don't, be careful. That's, this is our standard here, right? This is what we use as the plumb line. I, I do that all the time, no matter what I'm reading. Make sure it lines up. And there are books that I've read that I wouldn't hand off to other people. Because I wouldn't want them to, to get led astray. If you're not ready to identify that stuff, it will cause confusion. There are also books that I've read a few pages in and threw them away. So you've got to be on guard for that kind of stuff. You've got to recognize, right, what God's saying. And then that way you can pick up what the world's saying or what the enemy's saying. Then he says, now as Janes and Jamborees resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. He explains them to us. 
They are men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. So he's referring to this situation with Moses in the Old Testament. So you've got situations where people, if you resist the truth, now sometimes truth's going to hit all of us between the eyes. That's how God's Word works. We should be thankful for that. But if you and I resist the truth, there's nowhere else to go. You don't have anywhere else to go. And he says, they will not progress any further, just like the ones with Moses. Then he's come back to us, he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, the manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. These are the things he says you need to do. He says, you have followed my doctrine, thy manner of life, the purpose and faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra. What persecutions I endured. So there's going to be persecution, and I think we're going to see a real push for that now that some of these decisions have been made, especially this one on abortion. We've had protesters here in this town in the last few days. And, and uh, I think one of the statements that I saw somebody posted was, I'll see you Christians in hell. Now think about that for a minute. <laughs> think about the issue of abortion. All right, number you're fighting so you have the right to kill another human being. That's the first problem. And you're so angry and vehement about it. And that's basically what they've blamed this on. A lot of, there's, a, there's a movement now blaming this on Christians. We've let Christians have too much say and too much influence. So persecution is going to come. And this word persecution, let me show you what it means. And you think about this now because it usually starts subtle and verbal. And then it gets more intense. That's how persecution starts, right? It's like a fight, right? Anybody ever been in a fight? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but usually it starts with verbal things, right? A little agitation. Next thing you know, people are throwing hands, right? That's what we see here. Because this word persecution means to drive away, to put to flight. They want, if you, don't have an, if you have an opinion that's biblical, you're not accepted. You can't have an opinion that's different, right? And so they, put, they want to put us to flight. They want us out of the way. Now that's not going to work because we're Christians. And we're called to be a light in a dark world. He told us at the beginning of this, these were perilous times. Times that are risky, where we face danger, where we stand in jeopardy. Paul talks about his afflictions here. He talks about them a lot to share these things with us. So this, this persecution is going to start out with verbal things, but it's going to get far more intense. If you watch some of the actions and see some of the countenances on these people, it's demonic. Now, I, I, I've dealt with this in ministry several times 
Demon possession is real. But we live in a culture to where most churches and the culture don't recognize it anymore. Now, as we get closer to the end of time, I believe we're going to see more manifestations of that. Because the devil knows what time it is better than most churches. He knows he's running out of time. He knows he's... He's been watching this unfold and seeing all the prophecies that God has given over time. And he's watched them happen. And he's not been able to stop them. You know, he would have loved to have kept Israel from becoming a nation again. And from Jerusalem being regained by the control of, of the Jews. So he's, he's seeing all. He knows what time it is better than most Christians. And so he's going to... If you're the foe and you're going backwards and it looks like you're going under... You're going to throw everything you can at your opponent. That's the kind of day we live in. I have noticed just coming to service that the warfare has picked up. It's intense. I have noticed with churches, churches are in extreme warfare. Battles going on. Because... We're the last frontier. Once the church is out of the way, and God's going to take her out of the way eventually, but if they can get the church to back down, if they can get the church to go away, then there won't be any conflict for them. So that persecution means to drive away, to pursue, to put to flight. He said, you guys have watched this in me. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the, Lord, all the Lord delivered me. So he's testifying of what we say from here from time to time. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. But you and I won't be persecuted. We won't be picked out or stand out if we act just like the world does. Christians are not supposed to wear camouflage. We're supposed to let our light shine. Yes, and all who desire to live God in Christ Jesus didn't say might. He didn't say they could. He said all those, all, uh, all, yes, and all those who de desire to live godly in Christ. Now, he threw that in there. He didn't say all those who join the church. He didn't say all those who belong to a denomination. He didn't say all those who come to service. He said all those who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. You know, I deal with people all the time. There are people right here in this in this on this campus and in this body that you've have had to deal with persecution from their own flesh and blood. If somebody from Islam converts to Christianity, their own brothers and sisters may kill them. If they're Jew and they convert to Christianity and they're in an orthodox family, a lot of times their whole family will disown them. Sometimes, and he said that, didn't he? He said, I'm going to come and cause division because some are going to want to follow me and some are not. And he said, there'll be three in this household on this side and two on the other. And he said, mother-in-law will be against daughter-in-law. He, he talked about all that. So I don't know why we should get so moved when we see that stuff happen. I, I wish everybody would follow the Lord. But that's just not true. 
The Bible says few are going to heaven and many are going to destruction. That's where we're headed. And so he said, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall or will suffer persecution. But then look what he says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Somebody showed me a clip, it's been a while back, of a man in Florida eating another man's flesh. Captured it on video. That's demonic. We don't fight flesh and blood. We fight against things we cannot see. Principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. Darkness. But yet we have all the equipment to overcome and to stand. We don't have to be afraid. We just have to be a good soldier. Stay engaged, like he said. So that we don't get enticed by the things of the world. The Bible says, He that stays engaged and fights a good fight in the warfare will not entangle himself with the world anymore. You've got to stay engaged. Uh, there's no, you, you don't get exemptions either. None of us get exemptions. I don't care how long I've been a preacher or how long I've been doing this. If I don't stay engaged, I will lose ground. I have to stay in the Word. Some of these books I've probably read 500 times. But it's food to my spirit man. And my spirit man needs that food because he's fighting hell. And so are you. We're all fighting hell. But we have the victory. We have all the power available to us. But it's like the guy who wants to play football but won't ever go to the weight room. That's how a lot of Christians are. You don't have anything more important that you'll do tomorrow than read your Bible and pray. There's nothing tomorrow. I don't care what your job is. I'm even talking about me. I have no business in this pulpit if I don't read, study God's Word and pray. And fast. I'll throw that in there. I have no business in this pulpit. And there's nothing you're going to do tomorrow that will be more important than for you to read God's, some of God's Word and to spend a little time talking to Him. Now, I'm not legalistic. We're not in competition. You don't have to spend more time than me or less time than me. I don't, that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is getting up every day and spending time with our husband. Because we love him. And because we look at around us and everything we have has come from his hand. Every single thing. And as I said and closed this meeting Sunday, I said, what has God done or not done for us to not trust him? Nothing. He's been perfect. So there's nothing you're going to do tomorrow that's going to be more important than spend a little time with Jesus in His Word and in prayer. And then he says, he says, These things I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men, postures will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's, guard it. Recognize things. That's why you've got to be in the Word so you can recognize when, when you're, the devil's trying to lead you in the wrong direction or lead you astray. This mic's got a demon in it, I think, tonight. Uh, but you must continue the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures 
which are able to make you wise. He said from childhood you've known these holy scriptures. So there's nothing more important than you and I knowing God's Word. You've heard me say this before. Praying's not more important. Witnessing's not more important. Knowing the Word is first. Because if you don't know the Word, you don't know how to pray correctly. You don't know how to be a witness. You don't know how to praise and worship correctly. You don't know how to do anything right. You don't know how to treat your spouse, how to raise your children. It all starts with the Word. And then he says, you've known these which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he gives a statement here. He says, all, perse- all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The word, you've heard this before, inspired means God breathed. So when I hear somebody who's handling God's word, be it a pastor, priest, or whatever they call themselves, or a teacher, or whatever, it doesn't matter. When I hear them say, if Paul were here, he would not have said it that way in our culture, then they've just undermined everything about God's word. They're saying that Paul wrote it, and it wasn't given to us by the Holy Spirit. They have no business standing on God's Word. They just undermined it all. By saying something like that, as foolish as that. But you see, that's, those are the things we got to recognize when people make statements like that. And he says, All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable. Here's what it's profitable for. Doctrine. And you know this. I've, I grew up in the church and around the church. I've been to all kinds of churches. I've preached in just about all kinds of churches. And some of them have their doctrines plastered on the wall. And some of it don't have a thing to do with the Scripture. It's men's. That's the thing that Jesus come to town and had to set the Pharisees down for. That you've got the ways of men are more important to you than the ways of God. And notice when I gave you what that governor said. She didn't care about God. She don't care about God. Politics started with Saul. Saul was supposed to do what God had told him to do. And when Samuel comes up and, and sees Saul, first thing Samuel hears is, bah. And Samuel says, hey, did you do what the Lord told you to do? And he said, well, yeah. And he said, well, why am I hearing these sheep? And he said, well, the people. So right there is where I believe politics entered the world. Because at that moment, Saul was saying, I care more about what people want than what God wants. Now you know, and I'm going to give some leeway here because I know some people who love the Lord are in politics, but you know 90-some percent of politicians, that's exactly how they are. They care more about what people think than what God thinks. Do you know how many people in our culture... I'm going to have to cast a demon out of this thing here in a minute. Do you know how many people that are now some of the loudest voices for abortion and same-sex marriage? If you just play some videotape from 10 years ago, 
50, they weren't that way. Why did they get that way? Because they care more about what people think and getting a vote and money than they do about what God thinks. Do you know that's going to be the biggest tragedy? When people go stand before God and they have to give an answer for themselves. And what leads, what happens, there's deception comes into that and people start thinking they're God. That they have all the power. And he says, it's good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Two of those are things that correct us or challenge us, right? The Word of God... Most of the time when everybody's doing things right, people just let them keep doing it, right? It's when we get out of the path that we need to get our attention, right? It said, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. What bothers me so much is to lead somebody to Christ. And then some of their family or neighborhood folks that ain't been to church in 30 years, start telling them how to live for Jesus. And contradict the scripture. And he says, they, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He needs, now this word thoroughly, I want to talk to you about it for a minute. That word thoroughly, you, you could think maybe in your mind's eye that he's talking about a toolbox. You know, kind of like you need all the tools, right? Like a mechanic. And that's true. We need to show, study to show ourselves approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Workmen need to not be ashamed. You know all that. But there's something else this word means that I thought was interesting. It means to be purged. You know why you still get purged? And I get purged? Because God's trying to get all the junk out of us. What's that Jesus said? Every branch that bears fruit, He purges it. See, now we're linear thinkers, right? Remember what I was talking about Sunday morning? That block logic versus linear. And so we think, all right, looky there. Look at them apples. I'm looking good in the neighborhood. Now, the Bible says we're supposed to bear fruit, right? Why? So not to look good, but so others can pluck the fruit and taste and see that the Lord is good, like the psalmist said. And there's one fruit, nine components, you all have heard me talk about. It's not nine fruits. And that means if you don't have one of those components under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then that means all of your apples have a worm in it. So those nine components, we need to surrender in. Be long-suffering. So God looks at us and we're thinking, man. He's just going to keep getting bushels and bushels off us. Because we're really getting it done. Look at these honey crisp apples hanging off us. Then after the, this season, God comes in and cuts our limbs off. It used to bother me because I didn't understand this when I was young. Anybody remember what a lodi apple is? 
A lodi is the best apple for a pie. I mean, it is phenomenal. But they're good to eat, too, especially if you're a young boy and your grandparents have all kinds of apple trees and everything in the yard. And, man, they'd be loaded one year, and then I'd be thinking, man, next year, and my grandfather sometime in the fall or whenever would cut those things to a nub. And I didn't understand that when I was little. I'm thinking, you are running. Because I would walk through their yard about every day, going to the creek, going to the swimming hole, playing ball or something. Because I knew if I cut through their yard, before I got to the other side of their five acres, I'd have apples, blueberries, raspberries, onions, anything, (laughs) strawberries, and maybe a copperhead, (laughs) which I didn't handle. (laughs) But I didn't understand the process of that. We don't either sometimes. Because we got this linear thinking, right? I produced 10 bushels this year. Next year, I'll probably produce 20. Except the vine dresser come in and cut me back. One of the hardest things to do is to let those strawberries flower the first year. And put, pull them off. It's one of the hardest things to do. Because you'll go out there and you'll see one and think, ah, i got to have it, Right? We don't understand God's ways. We should. He's trying to teach us to teach them to us, like with things like pruning and stuff. And Jesus talks a lot about that. He talks about gardeners and sowing and reaping and all that kind of stuff. But God is a block thinker on our behalf. He wants us to live in the moment because when tomorrow gets here, it's not tomorrow, it's today. And yesterday's never here, it's always behind us. All you have is this moment. That's why block logic is a good way for a Christian to live. Live in this moment, in this day, and don't get caught up in tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, take care of itself. Then he goes, there's other places that he and some others talk about how that we don't own tomorrow. It's not yours. You don't have no guarantee of tomorrow. I don't, you don't, none of us do. And so we can get so caught up in what's going to happen tomorrow, we can miss things God's doing today. This moment. And we can't miss those. We've got to be available. And what he'll do, like I was talking about with that widow woman, she had linear thought who knows how long till the prophet showed up. And you know where her linear thinking took her? To the grave. That's what she was looking for. Who knows how long she'd been thinking that way. She was caught up in the process, right? We're going to eat again. Looks like we got enough for another day, another day, another day, another day. But sooner or later, we're going to run out. We're in a famine. We're going to die. That, who knows how long that process. I know some folks that process probably would have went on for months. Just looking at the meal dwindling. And do you imagine what she was thinking on the way back to that barrel after the, the prophet said, you need to feed me first? She's probably thinking, well, I'll just let him eat and my son eat and I'll just do without. We don't know. She was human. right? All these things probably were going on in her mind, making her way back there. But this was the chance of a lifetime with her, right? Because it's impossible to please God without faith. She's getting ready to have faith and put him first. He challenges her, not being egotistical, not being full of eros, not being self-centered. He just come because God sent him there and he knew it was her moment too. And she had to realize that. 
How many people were blessed because this woman stepped into her moment? That's what I'm saying. If you don't live in block thinking and receive God for the moment, you may miss your moments. You, we're so caught up with what may happen tomorrow, no matter what it is. I don't care what it is. We're just consumed with tomorrow and we're missing maybe what God's doing today. Enjoy the day in Christ. Know Him. Walk with Him. Be in love with Him. Live in this moment so you're not so distracted by things going on tomorrow. You may not be here. We may be planning your funeral tomorrow. And there's a lot of people that get caught up in that. And where's the end of that leading? Most of it's despair. People who worry about tomorrow, and I used to do this. I quit doing it. But people who worry about tomorrow, they live a lot in a lot of despair. They're concerned about what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And that's no way to live. We want to live with joy. We want to live in the moment. We want to know God's will. And so she, she's got this moment of a lifetime. And Elijah offers it to her. And she steps out in faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The word rewarder in the Greek means a giver of wages. Now, that doesn't mean God's always going to give you money. But it means... because. If you're praying for somebody to be saved, no money's worth that, right? I mean, you, God may reward us in all kinds of ways, but He used an accounting word there to get the point across. We all understand the means of exchange. When we do something, we get rewarded with some level of means of bartering or exchange, right? So He was getting the, the Holy Spirit was getting the point across there. This woman received that. She, the barrel didn't ever ran dry in the whole famine. Because she, now see, that's what I'm, I don't want us to miss. We, we may be missing some supernatural movement in our situations because we're not stepping out. We're linear thinkers thinking, well, there's just enough for us to eat today and then tomorrow it's over. This is your moment. This is my moment. Stepping out into that. So, who is somebody that diligently seeks the Lord? The Bible says, and we'll close here, the Bible says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's a bad choice of words in English. But it means somebody who refuses to be denied. Like Jacob in the Old Testament. He said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. Right? He walked in. It's like Zacchaeus who got up in the tree and said, hey, uh, you know, I got to see him. I gotta. It's like the woman who touched the hem of his garment. Who knows what all she endured to get there. Dust, kicked in her jaws, toe jam, everything. Right? To get over there and touch his garment. And then this woman whose daughter's in trouble, and he almost offends her. He said, we're not giving the master's meat to dogs. And she could have got mad and went and run Jesus down on Facebook, which a lot of people would have done. But she says, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs off the table. And Jesus said, hey, whoo, you got it. Somebody who refuses to be denied. That's what it means, somebody who just keeps coming. Just keeps coming. I never remember playing football one time in high school, and then this old fullback was just a load. He was big as the lineman, and he could run. 
It was a bad deal for me because I was the last guy between him and the goal line. And I weighed like a whopping 145 pounds. He could have got me in one leg of his pants. But I'll never forget what, what one of our guys said who was tired of tackling. We had two good linebackers. They were good linebackers and didn't care to hit people. But he, kept, he said, he just keeps coming. He just keeps coming. He's relentless. That's how we ought to be in the things of the Lord. That's what he's talking about, diligent seekers. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your word. It ministers to us. It fills our spirits so that we can be strong. Lord, there's a lot of issues in our world today that we want to be on the right side of. We want to stand with your word. I'm not interested in going out and attacking people, Lord, but I am not backing down from your truth. You said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will stand forever. You just want us to stand firm, and when confronted, that we should give an answer of the hope that lies within us, like Paul said. And why we believe the way we do. And why we've built our life on the rock and not the sand. Go with us and guide us. Help us to be strong. And help us to be those, those lights to the world that's lost and undone. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.